This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you? I'm very well, mate. Thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Busy Easter weekend. Uh, Two matches, of course. With Blackburn Rovers, an absolute bonkers occasion at the John Smith Stadium on good uh, on Easter Monday. What what did you get to? Plenty of eggs consumed, I hope. A little bit, yep. Yeah. I uh, decided to break off the chocolate-free diet and decided to have a few days uh, of um, knowing What's my way through. What's your favourite Easter egg? Ooh, to be fair, I'm quite a fan of the new uh, Cadbury's uh, Orange Twirl one this year. Oh, that that's was literally quite, that, that was, was quite my answer. Nice. That was my answer yeah, as well. That, that was uh, a pleasant change. But uh, yeah, aside from that, pretty uh, pretty laid back weekend really. Off work this week, so been uh, just enjoying some downtime and soaking up the football, and looking forward to the Champions League resuming this evening as we record on Tuesday morning. Yeah, I'm a big dairy milk fan, and I, I like chocolate. I've always liked Terry chocolate orange. So when they obviously did chocolate uh, dairy milk chocolate orange, that that is my new favourite. Uh, big fan of the marvelous creation bars as well, the popping candy ones, but. No, I'd um, want just in case any any anyone's listening from Cadbury's and Fancy's teaming up with the Championship Chat podcast and dropping us some some goodies, um, you've always got to keep yourself covered for those. Just randomly plug in there some, you know, probably the leading chocolate supplier in the UK. So yeah, as Elliot says, if you if you work for they Cadbury's, might be wanting you want to, to branch, word in. they might want to branch out into Championship football podcast. Yeah, that, maybe they want to take over from a sky bet and call it the Cadbury's Championship. I think that sounds pretty good to me. Sponsored by us. I like it. Yeah. Of course, yeah. it's been an absolute bonkers weekend for footballs. There's been 48 Championship matches since we last recorded and spoke. Two managerial sackings as we record on Tuesday morning, and we're going to try and dissect and analyse all of that good stuff in the next hour or so. So if you do enjoy this podcast, please make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts from on all of your usual platforms and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChampChatPod24. Closing in on 10,000 followers on Twitter, so please do follow us if you're not already. Um, or share the page to a friend who might, because we'd love to hit 10,000 by the end of the season. And a massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, please visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide the discount on RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. Big thank you again to them for sponsoring the podcast this season. And as I say, on today's podcast, we've got two managerial sackings, a promotion... So much drama in the playoff race, in the relegation battle, and we're going to unpack that all for you coming up next. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, we've got to start with the first promotion of the Championship season, and that was by Burnley on Friday night. They secured their route back to the Premier League at the first time of asking, becoming the 25th side to immediately bounce back to the top flight. That was confirmed on Good Friday in the late kickoff against Middlesbrough, which they won 2-1, which makes them record breakers. They are the side that has earned promotion in the fewest number of games, just 39, um, beating previous records. And they then followed up that with a 2-0 win over Sheffield United on Easter Monday with a brace from Johan Goodmanson getting the three points for Vincent Kompany's side. Zooming out. I think we have to just pay homage to Burnley first and foremost because they have been one of, if not the best team we have seen at championship level. And I don't think that is over the top to say that. They could still break Reading's points to tally of 106. Um, they'll either match it with, what, five wins and a draw, I think, or four wins and a draw. I can't remember how many games we've got left, five. So, yeah, four wins and a draw will get them level with 100 on, on 106. And if they win the lot, they will beat that record and finish with 108 points this season. And they've been fantastic. And when you consider the amount of chaos that ensued their relegation last season, this time in June, we didn't know what Burnley were going to look like at Championship level. We didn't know who the manager was going to be, what the squad was going to be like. They lost so many experienced players that had been at the club for so long. And it was a club that really had lost its identity in terms of we didn't know what they were going to look like coming down. They could have been mid-table fodder. And the way companies come in and galvanise this group completely changed the style of play. 
They've signed emerging talents from Belgium. Clearly, areas he trusts, he trusts, and he's scouted, and he's used these young players, and he's absolutely given them the freedom and the confidence to go and show that they are top-level Championship signings. Players like Anas Zaruri, Manuel Benson, who's been in and out, um, Taylor Harwood Bellis coming in on loan from Manchester City, who'd done well at Championship level, but had never looked like, in my opinion a top, top player who was ready to be playing Premier League football. I absolutely think he is ready to play in the Premier League next season. Even someone like Murich, who'd had a bit of a dodgy loan spell in the Championship with Forrest previously. They bought him, they took a, a gamble on him. Clearly, company knows him well from Manchester City. And, you know, he's had his moments, but he plays the style of football that Burnley want to play. And they've kept clean sheets as well as scoring bundles of goals. I don't think they've made a better signing than getting Nathan Teller on loan. From Southampton, that that's increasingly a bizarre decision from Southampton's point of view. But some detractors will say and talk about the money that was spent in the summer, but it's a negative net spend. I'm sorry, they they, they recouped a lot of money from Nathan, for Nathan Collins, Nick Pope as well. They lost the two centre backs in James Tarkowski and Ben Mee, who'd played hundreds of games for them, and they completely overhauled the style of play. And they didn't bring in a completely new, you know, sixteen man squad. They've redeveloped some players that we probably didn't think could play in this way. You know, the likes of Jack Cork, Josh Brownhill, who'd played for relatively, um, who'd always been more pragmatic players in their career. Yes, Brownhill had scored goals at Bristol City, but it was more of a workhorse player than a technical um, standout midfielder. And he's completely revitalised them. Ashley Barnes is getting more from and, and different facets of his game that we didn't think necessarily he was capable of doing. And he's completely overhauled this entire squad, this entire club. And for where they were in June to where they are now, promoted with 39 games gone and heading for the title, there is nothing you can say to knock this achievement. Simply a phenomenal season from a phenomenal manager and a phenomenal group of players and quite rightly really high up there when we talk about the best championship teams we have ever seen. Yeah, I think you've summed it up perfectly. They are one of the all-time greats at this at this level of the game. They've been an absolute pleasure to be able to watch. They've been a you know they've been formidable. They've kept standards so so high throughout the season, and to have got to you know nearly the middle of April and they've only lost twice all season is a phenomenal achievement. It really is. And a lot of people, when we've praised Burnley on this podcast, praised them on the Twitter page have jumped down our throats saying, yeah, but they've spent all this money. What did you expect? Parachute payments, FC, that sort of, you know, that sort of trend that comes with any team that's come down and then bounced straight back up. But Vincent Company went into that club and absolutely transformed everything from the very bottom to the top. He inherited a team that had obviously been so used to playing in the Sean Dyche way for, you know, the best part of a decade near enough. They'd obviously suffered from relegation. They were a club that, you know, were branded with playing sort of Brexit football, very sort of traditional, strategic, very, very bland. And all of a sudden he's come in and absolutely transformed things. He's brought in quite a few flair players that, you know, we've not normally associated with Burnley in the in the past. And he's moulded all of that together, you know, like 16, 17 new signs or whatever it was. He's moulded it all together. And it's come together perfectly. And, you know, that is not easy. Whether you've spent money or not, whether you've brought in 17 new players for a million pounds each, whether you've brought in 17 new players for nothing or whatever, you've still got to gel it together, make it work, coach it, manage it. And Vincent Company has done that to a T. He's done an absolutely magnificent job. And I don't think anybody could have possibly foreseen that Burnley would waltz their way to promotion so easily. You know, Vincent, Company wouldn't say it's been easy. Burnley's players wouldn't say it's been easy. But looking as a as a you know as a football fan, looking at it, looking at the league table, Burnley have absolutely coasted their way to promotion this season. They've not really you know had anybody present them with too many difficult challenges, with the exception of that defeat against Sheffield United in November. That's the only time anybody's really you know sort of given them a lesson this season. They were very unlucky to lose the game against Watford. Um, back in August when they did lose for the first time this season. But to have lost two league games by Easter is a phenomenal achievement. And it's obviously just a question of time now before they before they lift the title. They're 14 points clear after that win over Sheffield United on Monday night. They're not going to be caught. It's 
truly phenomenal, the job that Vincent Company has done. And, you know, Vincent Company, he's a winner. He's a leader. He's learnt from the very, very best during his playing career, having, you know, played under Pep Guardiola. You know, he worked with Roberto Mancini, worked with Manuel Pellegrini. He's worked with, you know, some of the greatest coaches the game's ever seen, arguably the very best in Guardiola. So it's no surprise that he's been able to take what he's learnt from them and implement it at Burnley and deliver that those standards to his players. And I look at Burnley, I watch them in full on Friday night against Borough. And, you know, at the start of that game on paper, it was going to be a tough test for them, but they found a way to get the job done. It's what the best teams do. They deserve to win the game. You know, so many players chipping in with the goals. Connor Roberts, another one for him. Johan Berg Goodmanson off the bench to get a brace on Monday night. The goals have come from all angles throughout the season. And, you know, it's been a solid team effort for Burnley all the way from back to front. You know, you look at just, you know, everybody's raved about Nathan Teller, but the instructions of Howard Bellis, Jordan Bayer, Cullen, they've been central to their success this season. So even though Vincent Company, of course, like, you know, many championship managers of this season and of the past, yeah, he's had money to play with. But like you said, look at the money they inherited from player sales last summer. You know, just a couple there, except, for, you know, you mentioned Collins. It was Dwight McNeil that left for a big fee. Maxwell Corney that left for a big fee. You know, they inherited decent-sized sums of money last summer and they've not spent anywhere near what they inherited. So, you know, they've not, you know, cheated the system of FFP or anything like that. They've been smart in their recruitment. And, you know, how many of those players came in from overseas? Quite a few. And, you know, to adapt to the championship the way they have, Vincent Company as well adapting to the championship the way he has, They've just made it look absolutely effortless. So I think a big congratulations is needed to Burnley. They've fully deserved this. And I think the challenge for them now is, once they now get into the Premier League, what sort of plan are they going to have moving forward? Obviously, the first step is going to be to get there and stay there. But beyond that, compared to previous years, with Vincent Company at the helm, you would think they're going to be able to attract a better calibre of player. And, you know, they're playing a good brand of football. And I think Burnley fans will look forward to next season, really excited and confident that they can stay in the Premier League. But they've been a joy to watch. Will they match Rennie's record? Will they beat it? I think it's certainly possible with the form that they're in right now. But, you know, even if they don't, they've had a remarkable season and they are going to be champions. For Sheffield United, it was a blow for them to lose Wes Fotheringham to an early red card, a very silly red card in truth. Jack Robinson not covering himself in glory. Even he was hooked for Adam Davies to come on. He didn't cover himself in glory either for the second goal where he comes for the cross. Gets nowhere near it and Goodmanson wrapped up the points for Burnley. Sheffield United are in a great position. It's still been a good Easter weekend. They beat Burnley, uh, sorry, they beat Wigan Athletic on Friday. Puts them five points clear of Luton Town with a game in hand and they still look well on course for the Premier League. In third place, George, Luton Town, they beat Blackpool 3-1 on Monday. A great win for the Hatters. It's four points over the Easter weekend and they look absolute certainties for a top six finish now. They are the closest competitors to Sheffield United. And since Rob Edwards came in, George, on the 17th of November, they have taken 41 points from 20 championship matches. That is automatic promotion form. You always look for that two points per game average for a team that's going to finish in the top two. And for nearly half a season, Luton Town have been good enough for automatic promotion. He's just improved the team. I know we've said this before. They no longer have this underdog mentality. They're just a good football team, a really, really good football team. And a comeback win against Blackpool showed that. Pelly Ruddock and Panzu equalising after an error from James Husband. Um, Carlton Morris made it 2-1 with his 17th of the season. And then Ruddock and Panzu finished it off um, for 3-1. And right now, I have to say, looking at the playoff battle, of the two teams that we think will definitely be in there in Luton Town and Middlesbrough, I would have Luton Town as my current favourites for the playoffs. They are in the best form. I think they're the most adaptable to different situations. You saw the way that they ground out a result against Millwall and they're capable of going away from home to tough places and being resilient, being tough to beat. But they can also score goals and they can also create chances and they can also use that atmosphere at the at Kenilworth Road to suffocate teams. And that's what they're doing on a consistent basis. They're just a very difficult team to face. I think they're so multifaceted in the way that they can play. They're adaptable, as I said. And right now, Luton Town are one of the form teams in the Championship. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, they're nine unbeaten now. And they are proven incredibly difficult to score against. You know, Blackpool, the first team to have scored 
from not a penalty situation against Luton since the 28th of February on Monday, which proves how hard they are to break down. I watched the game against Millwall in full on Good Friday. Arguably one of the worst championship games I've seen all season. It was absolutely dreadful. There was so little quality on show. It was a really poor game, but it could prove to be a very valuable point for Luton at a very difficult place to go come the end of the season. And, you know, they've bounced back with another home win against Blackpool on Monday. Carlton Morris with yet another goal. Rudikem Panzu with a couple. And like you said, of the teams that you would expect to finish in that top six picture, they're probably the team that you'd not want to face right now because they're in the best form, as you said, they're very difficult to score against. And, you know, particularly at home, they are, you know, I don't know, they're almost like Mill in probably one of the most difficult grounds to visit these days in the Championship. You do not get much change out of Luton away from home. And, you know, their last home defeat was on the 18th of February at home to Burnley, which was a penalty. You know, they've only lost twice at home since Rob Edwards took over. So he's doing an absolutely marvellous job and it felt like a good fit at the time of his so appointment. It's in... a real contrast to where Luton were at this time of season because it felt like they limped into the playoffs. They got injuries. The squad had been for a real turmoil with the fixture congestion and it felt like they got there. And I wouldn't say they didn't do themselves justice because it was a very tight uh, one-goal defeat to Huddersfield Town over the two legs. But it feels like this time they're hitting top form going into what we expect to be the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. They look a really good side. They look well-oiled and, you know, like we've said there, going into the playoffs, they probably are, you know, the last team that you'd probably want to face. However, could they still creep into the top two? At the moment, Sheffield United, of course, have a five-point advantage. They have that game in hand. But at the moment, with the form Luton are in, they just seem to be on a, you know, a regular pattern of winning games week after week. Sheffield United, obviously, have picked up recently that defeat to Burnley, obviously not helped by the red card. Hopefully a minor blip for them. They've been in good form of late. They were very convincing against Wigan on Good Friday, even though they only won by a goal to nil. But Luton, they've just got such form, you know, in their sails at the minute. They're so confident. They're flying. And Rob Edwards, like I said, has come in. You know, after his first game in charge, they were 13th in the table. It's remarkable, the, the turnaround. And Luton have got five games left. You look at their remaining five, their next two are away from home, Rotherham and Reading, who obviously both need points for different reasons. Reading certainly more so. But then they've got Middlesbrough at home on Monday the 24th of April. What a game that could be. Then they've got Blackburn away and then they've got Hull at home. So the last three are certainly more tricky than the, the next two. So it's going to be interesting to see. But at the moment with the fun they're in, I wouldn't want to be playing them because they look a really well-oiled side. They're scoring goals. And, you know, as I said, they are proving incredibly difficult to score against. So I think Luton, I think they're an absolute guarantee for the top six. I've said that for several weeks now. And, you know, with the way teams beneath the beneath the current top six are stuttering a little bit at the minute, there's certain ones that obviously aren't capitalising that we'll come on to. I think you can be rest assured that Luton's season, will, if they don't get in the top two, will certainly be going on into May. There's no doubt about that. So they're looking really, really good at the minute. But... Top two, certainly mathematically not impossible, but it might just be a bit of a stretch with that game in hand the Blades have got. And I think four of the Sheffield United's remaining six are at Bramall Lane as well, which could make it a little bit tricky. But, you know, while there's mathematically a chance, Luton won't give up, but I think top six is a certainty now. Middlesbrough's chances, they were blown really by only taking one point over the Easter weekend, beaten by Burnley, as we discussed a moment ago, on Good Friday. And then a 2 all draw at Ashton Gate against Bristol City coming from two goals behind to earn themselves a point in the late kickoff on Easter Monday. Nearly three defeats in a row, and I think that ends their top two hopes, in my opinion. And the goals, they conceded. They just look very vulnerable in transition right now, I think. Sam Bell taking the first one, and then the second uh, turned in for 2-0. It just feels like, we've always said with the risk and reward with, with Middlesbrough style, that's why they've been blowing teams away from... Uh, blowing teams away especially at home and right now they're just not quite getting that defensive structure right Paddy McNair is he really a centre-back in a flat-back four I think there's questions to be asked there he wasn't in the team when Middlesbrough first started this run it was Dale Fry and Lenehan that was the preferred pairing be interesting to see whether Carrick goes back to that and I just feel like defensively they are a little bit vulnerable right now and if you haven't got everyone at it all of a sudden you look quite flimsy at times and I thought Middlesbrough did and they could have easily lost this game they could have won it as well as I say it was a really good fight back great header from Jacob Ramsey uh, from Aaron Ramsey sorry for 2-1 
and a lovely finish from Matt Crooks after a lovely team move to make it 2 all. They finished that really, really well. And they did have other chances. Cameron Archer scored, but it was ruled offside correctly. But Bristol City missed an absolute sitter through Zach Viner. So I think personally that lays an end to Middlesbrough's top two hopes. They'll want to finish the season strongly and go into the playoffs with some momentum. But the real intrigue, George, is around fifth and sixth and the teams just below Luton and Middlesbrough and who will get there. It was not a great week for Millwall. They were beaten by Hull City on Easter Monday 1-0. Couldn't find a way past Luton in the 0-0 draw on Good Friday either. Now, they had chances in this one. Ollie Burke hit the underside of the bar. And that did prove costly because Adama Traore picked the ball up and curled it into the bottom corner. And that's the way it stayed. Save. That's the way it stayed. Carl Darlow kept out a couple of efforts from Zian Fleming and Volk Slammer as well to secure the points for the Tigers. Millwall stuttering perhaps a little bit at the wrong moment. I do feel they've not quite been as... They, they've regressed a little bit to Millwall of previous where they, they don't look a brilliant attacking outfit and they've been trying to sort of grind out gritty points. It didn't shock me that Hull won this game. I kind of kind of suspected Millwall might drop points. I thought it could be a nil-nil draw, if I'm being completely honest. But it doesn't shock me that Hull managed to come away with the 1-0 win. That leaves them on 62 points. Um, Huddersfield drew 2 all with Blackburn Rovers, which a game, of course, I was at. A bonkers game at the John Smith Stadium. Blackburn dominated, I think it's fair to say, particularly between the two boxes. But in the first half, they were particularly bullied in the 18-yard box. A five minutes of chaos saw them 2-0 down, having dominated the opening 15 minutes. Matty Pearson was headed in his fourth goal in three games. Jack Radoni turned in Hungbo's cross from the right-hand side for 2-0. And then an onslaught from Rovers in the second half in particular. They scored at a really good time just after the break with JRC dinking the ball uh, for his first goal in Blackburn Rovers' colours in the Championship. And Thomas Lasic, he pulled off so many saves. It was like a one-man mountain. Um, in the end, Tyler Morton's cross onto the head of Joe Rankin-Costello, who genuinely could have had a hat-trick. And Ryan had just turned it in for an equaliser that Blackburn really did deserve. It was the least they deserved to come away from the John Smith Stadium with something, and very important point as well, having lost to Norwich on Good Friday. They'd have really feared the worst, I think, if they'd lost that. So for the top, for the teams currently occupying 5th and 6th, George, and on 62 points, not the greatest Easter weekends with only one point between them. Uh, well, with one point each, so two points between them. Yeah, definitely. Millwall, certainly, to begin with, are really stuttering at the worst possible time. They, they've gone four games now without scoring a goal. And, you know, at this stage of the season, that is a really concerning trend. I think they've only won now two of their last eight or nine games as well. And no disrespect, they were against, you know, a poor Reading side away from home and they were at home to a Swansea side who have been a little bit hit and miss. You know, the, the turning point for Millwall seemingly in their downward trend was that 3-2 home defeat to Norwich at the beginning of March. Even though they did win two after that, they never really got into a rhythm like what we saw when they beat Sheffield United, drew with Burnley, then went to Stoke and won in the space of a week. So Millwall have hit the buffers at the worst possible time. And, you know, the fact that they've now gone four games just without scoring has got to be a real concern for Gary Rowett because their their attacking play on, you know, on the whole this season has been pretty on point. Obviously, Tom Bradshaw has been scoring relatively well. Zian Fleming as well. And, you know, I watched the Millwall-Luton game on Friday, as I said earlier on, and I thought it was a really poor game. It was, you know, quite low on quality. Millwall probably shaded the better of the chances, but they certainly weren't clear-cut. So Millwall have, have seemingly hit the buffers at the worst possible time in, in this race, and they've got to try and find a way to to halt this little rut that they've experienced in the last few weeks. And you look at their next few games, they've got an absolutely enormous, enormous game on Saturday at home to Preston North End, who we'll touch on shortly. That is, you know, absolutely massive. And how big, as you said a few weeks ago, how big could that game against Blackburn Rovers be on the final day of the season? That could be literally a cup final winner-takes-all battle, that one, depending on what happens. Sandwiched in between that, Millwall have got Birmingham at home and trips to both Wigan and Blackpool, which, you know, looking at those two games, which are three and four games down the line for Millwall, by that stage, Wigan and Blackpool may already be doomed. It is quite possible. So they've got to go into those games and say to themselves, look, we have got to get six points from these two games. No no ifs or buts. 
if they're still in the race by that point, depending on what happens in the next couple of weeks or so, they've got to go into those games and take full points. But they are struggling at the moment. And I'm really surprised because we've said throughout the season, this is the best squad that Gary Rowett's had throughout his time at Millwall. You know, they've picked up some really good results this season, both home and away. And then in the last few weeks, they've just started to stumble that little bit. Even though, you know, overall, a point against Luton on Friday weren't the worst result in the world. You know, they seem to have been killed a little bit by that shock defeat to Huddersfield prior to the international break, where they've not really recovered from it. But as for the team beneath them, Blackburn Rovers, even though I wasn't at John Smith's on, on Monday afternoon, I did watch this game in, in full. And I don't know how Blackburn didn't win it. It was a brilliant game of football as a neutral, really entertaining game. I had about six heart attacks, I think, during the course of the game. Huddersfield racing into a 2-0 lead. Um, big hats off again to Matty Pearson, by the way. What form he's in at the moment. It's four in three for him. But Blackburn's second half, they came roaring back. And, you know, they, they should have won the game. That low pass into the penalty there that struck the post. How that Tyler Morton, Tyler Morton's passing nearly that. went in. But where's this going? It's going to nestle in the corner and clip the post. And then, obviously, you know, Blackburn got the equaliser right at the death through Ryan Hedges and they didn't quite manage to have enough to go and get that next goal and, and turn the game completely on its head. So, in the circumstances, a point having been 2-0 down is, you know, Blackburn will take it. But those extra two points at this stage of the season could have been so, so important. However... I do still believe out of Blackburn and Millwall that Blackburn will get in there. I think Blackburn are showing more signs of life at the at the moment than Millwall. However, I would not rule it out going to the final day shootout between the pair of them. So it's going to be an interesting race this, but it's, you know, for Blackburn, they will be cursing themselves how they didn't get three points on Monday. It's only the second time Rovers have taken a point from a losing position this season, which I, I genuinely mean that as a positive. Like That's got to galvanise them a little bit. And that second-half performance, no no one, as well as they were playing, no one expected Rovers to come back because of that record, I've just said. Now, Rovers have got, statistically speaking, the worst running of any team in the Championship if you take the average position of each of their opponents. They've got to play Hull City at home, which is the easiest of the lot and has to be three points if they're going to get in the top six. Then it's Coventry at home. Then it's Preston away. Then it's Burnley at home. Luton at home. Millwall away. Now, there's two ways of looking at that. Equally, that's really tough. But equally, at this point in the season, you're playing the teams in and around you and you can take points off them. If Rovers won again in the top six, it remains in their hands to do this so. This is the thing, isn't it? I'm just looking at the Blackburn six remaining games and that is a remarkable crop of fixtures that have come up for them at this stage, you know. Like you said, they have beaten Preston. some of the top teams. They beat Sheffield United, yeah. Preston, direct rival, Luton, a rival, Millwall, a rival, Burnley, more than likely, have the title sewn up by the time they meet on the 25th of April. But their biggest, down. you know, but four of the last six at home, it's an opportunity. It is certainly an opportunity. And on the whole, Rovers have been good on their own patch this season. And you never know. Obviously, Preston's a derby, Burnley's a derby. Form goes out the window. I know it's a cliche, but it often does. So it's going to be interesting. But I'll tell you what, I hope you're strapped in for your job because this is going to be one hell of a bumpy ride to the finish for you. Let's talk about the runners and riders in behind them, George. Preston North End are on 62 points, the same as Millwall, the same as Blackburn Rovers. It's goal difference keeping the Lily White out of the top six. And it was six points out of six for them over the Easter weekend. It had to be, realistically, if they were going to really pour petrol on top of the burning fire as they tried to get into the playoff places. It was unlikely a month ago. A month ago, I sat on this podcast and defended Ryan Lowe and said that he should keep his job from some disgruntled Preston fans that were saying otherwise. Well, you're not laughing now, are you, to to, to, to take the <laughs> take the clip off, uh, off Twitter. Um, they are... In great form. They've lost one of the last 11 games. It's three wins on the bounce in the Championship and three more goals for Tom Cannon over the break. He's been fantastic. He's been a, a revelation of a January signing, very much in the Cameron Archer mould. And I tell you what, if I was Ryan Lowe, I don't care where Preston end up, I would be getting him tied up for next season already because Everton might well want to keep him with their current form and whether they might be in the Championship, Lord knows. But this was a potential banana skin. They went and beat Queen's Park Rangers with two goals in the second half as well. So that was good character to stay patient. And then the Reading one, get themselves in front through Cannon. Really nice finish into the far corner. But then disaster strikes. 
bit of a, an innocuous goal, header into the far corner. It's one all, and suddenly Reading look like they've got themselves a point. But in the dying seconds, corner comes in, Brad Potts with the header, and that's a 2-1 win. Massive 10 days for Preston coming up, which will make or break their playoff hopes and their season. Millwall away on Saturday, Swansea away in midweek, and Blackburn at home will definitely define their season. Just behind them, George, Norwich City. They drew 0-0 with Rotherham United. An opportunity missed for them to get maximum points over the Easter weekend. I saw them first-hand beat Blackburn at Ewood Park on Good Friday, and they deserved that win. They were the better side. They were clinical. They took their chances. And Josh Sargent was a real nuisance for them. Against the Millers, they had plenty of chances, but Rotherham and Josh Vickers, who was in goal after Victor Johansson had picked up a shoulder injury, they were in inspired form. They need the point still, albeit not quite as perilous as some of the other teams in and around it. And it means that Norwich are just one point behind Millwall, Blackburn, Preston, and they are right in it with just five games to go. Yeah, well, I said when we last recorded our, you know, our most recent podcast a week last Sunday, I said that the Easter weekend was pivotal for Preston. And at that point, you were not totally convinced that they I would still be don't in, think the they'll get in the top six. I, I said that if they got six points from those two games over Easter, which of course they have done, they were in with a shout, and all of a sudden they are right in the thick of it. And you know they've put together a really good run of form, five wins in six. And I think it's quite interesting that Preston has seemed to have turned things around since they got beaten three 0 by Burnley on the eleventh of February. I remember Preston fans that evening; they were absolutely slamming their players for their. Oh, it was performance. the post-match reaction of Alan Brown, wasn't it, where he came out and said that tactically yep. they were in a different world to yeah. Preston. It, and, you know, Preston fans, you know, that evening, they, they, you know, they accepted the result in the sense that Burnley were the better side, you know, a much further advanced than Preston are. But they were they were really disgruntled with the manner of the of the performance in terms of the attitude of the players. They said it was men against boys. Since then, they've lost only one game. That was that 4-0 defeat to Middlesbrough prior to the international break. You know, they've emerged from that with three wins out of three, you know. Uh, and I've seen comments only last night, Monday evening, saying, yeah, but look who they've beaten. They've still beaten them. Yeah, they've still got points on the board. It doesn't matter who you beat. Discussions in football. Look it doesn't beat. matter who, who you beat. You've got to get points on the board at this stage of the season. You know whether you beat Burnley or whether you beat Wigan. It doesn't matter. You need the points. And all of a sudden, Preston have given themselves a really good chance of getting in there. You know they've got five games left. Obviously, Blackburn have a game in hand on them. Preston's running is difficult. I must admit, it's not the easiest crop of fixtures for them between now and the finish line. They've got to go to Millwall on Saturday which, you know, as we've just discussed, is an absolutely enormous game. Then they've got to go to Swansea. Then they've got Blackburn at home. Then they've got to go to Sheffield United. And then they've got Sunderland at home. So, you know, they're playing against nobody towards the bottom of the league between now and the end. They've got some really tough fixtures. So it is a case of, are Preston good enough to get in the top six? Now is their time to show if they are or not. But, you know, even if they do miss out and they miss out by, I don't know, for example, three, four points, I still think that would represent a, a solid season for Preston for what you would generally expect at the beginning of the campaign. If they finish in the top 10, I think that's a good good finish for Preston for the resources they've got. Ryan Lowe, obviously, he's, he's faced his critics this season, but in recent weeks, they've performed well. They've found results. Tom Cannon, as you've said, has been in blistering form. And, you know, for Preston, I think with the way Millwall are currently stuttering, it could be a good time to face them at the weekend. That That could be a game that decides a lot for, for both teams, I think. They're meeting at the Den on Saturday. And obviously, then Preston have still got to play Blackburn as well. So, two massive games against the two teams directly above them in the next two, three weeks. Really, really big games to come. And obviously, they've got to go to Bramall Lane as well, which is never easy. As for Norwich, you know, had they beaten Rotherham on Monday, they would have been sitting in the top six now. Instead, they're eighth. So, it's very, very fine margins. Sums up Norwich's but season, really, doesn't it? They get it a does. clutch result like winning at Blackburn and then yeah, not and then being able to put those chances in bit. the back of the net. But I think if you'd flipped it the other way around and they'd have taken a point on Friday and then beaten Rotherham, I think the majority of Norwich fans would have considered that a really solid Easter weekend for them. You know, four points from six, two clean sheets. It's not the worst set of results they could have got. They're right in the thick of it. Obviously, I tipped them at the international break to finish in the top six. I think they've got to prove a little bit of consistency now. I think that's the test for David Wagner and Norwich in the next few weeks. They've got to prove that they can string, you know, two, three wins together instead of getting one, stuttering, getting another win, then getting a draw. They've got to find a way. But looking at the remaining fixtures, they've got Middlesbrough away Friday night. 
you know, that's going to be a difficult test. But then they've got QPR away, Swansea at home. You know, realistically, Norwich have got to be getting six points on those two games if they want to get in the playoffs. West Brom away won't be easy at the end of April. Then they sign off on the final day at home to Blackpool. So, you know, they've got two home games left of their final five, Swansea and Blackpool. They've got to be six points because their home form has stuttered quite a bit recently. And that, you know, it could be their form at Carrow Road, which is so often been reliable at this level, which could be their undoing. But, you know, there's so many more twists and turns to come in this. It's it's proving bonkers. And, you know, how far back in the season did we say this playoff race would go down to the wire with how it was shaping up? You know, October, November, it was already becoming clear there was going to be a lot of runners and riders in this race. And, you know, at the moment, it's showing no signs of changing. Five points currently separating Millwall in fifth and West Brom in 11th. It, it's bonkers. But for neutrals, it's going to be a very interesting race to the finish line. Two more teams that are in and around it, George, just outside on the periphery. Coventry City, they haven't had a great Easter weekend, but two draws and teams dropping points around them has kept them in the hunt. They're only three points adrift. They drew two all with Watford on Easter Monday, coming from two goals behind with goals from Matty Godden and Ben Sheaf to earn them a point. They should have had a penalty as well. Hassan Kamara bringing down Norton Cuffey. Um, that was definitely a penalty and that would have given them all three points and catapulted them to within one point of the top six as well. It leaves them one win away with the results still to come and they have to go to Blackburn Rovers still at Ewood Park in the next 10 days. And then Sunderland, where would they be if Ozan Tufan hadn't scored in the 95th minute in that dramatic 4 all draw on Good Friday? They're only four points off the top six, so there'd be two points adrift is the answer to my previous question. Had they not dropped those points, they'd be right in the thick of it because they beat Cardiff City 1-0 on Monday in a scrappy game. Um, Jack Clark scored. It was ruled out for offside. That was incorrect. That should have stood. But a little bit of fortune went their way to level things up when Pritchard's free kick sort of was half dealt with by Ryan Alsop, pushed onto the post, pops back out, and Dennis Serkin was there to tap in. So Coventry and Sunderland both well in it too if they can get some positive results. Sunderland's fixtures aren't too bad either. Do you see either of these two muscling their way in? Personally, no. I think a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I would have given Coventry more of a chance when they went on that really good run, but they've just stuttered a little bit in recent weeks. And, you know, they've not been helped by injuries, Coventry. They've had some really serious injury problems in the, you know, throughout the season, really. They've not had the best of luck. But, you know, again, if they finish inside the top 10, that represents a really strong season for them and Mark Robbins. You know, they're continuing that upward trajectory of year on year, finishing in a higher position throughout the pyramid. They are moving closer. And, you know, obviously the, the main talking point for Coventry this summer, if they you know, if they don't get in the playoffs, is going to be, can they keep Victor Jokeres, which is going to be a very, very difficult challenge for them. But, you know, next season, could they be, you know, genuine top six contenders? I think they could, because we've seen enough evidence at junctures throughout this season that they have got it in them. But, you know, at the same time, we're saying that Coventry have slumped a little bit, which they have in terms of the, it's the draws that's killed them. They've only lost one game since the 3rd of February. It's You know, they've been on a good run in terms of avoiding defeat. It's just those draws with the likes of Wigan away, Hull at home, Swansea on, on Good Friday, Watford yesterday, even though they did come back from 2-0 down to their credit. So I certainly think, you know, you've got to give them a lot of credit. I just think they might just fall a little bit short, even though their fixture list you know, some of the five remaining games, I'll probably say three of them are quite favourable prospects for points. The trips to QPR, back-to-back home games with Reading and Birmingham. You know, if they could get nine points from those three, they might give themselves a, a little bit of a chance. I don't think you can rule them out completely yet because, you know, but just for example, one win for Coventry on Saturday, results go their way. They could climb into the top six on goal difference. It is that tight. One, literally one afternoon could change it all. So I wouldn't rule them out just yet, but I do think it is unlikely. As for Sunderland, like you said, if they'd not given that penalty away on Good Friday in what was an absolutely bonkers game, that was a genuine contender for game of the season. It was a honestly, it was breathless to watch. Sunderland could be even more in the thick of it. I just think for them, they've just been a little bit hit and miss recently. That's the problem. But again, it's easy to forget this time last year, Sunderland were fighting to get in the League One playoffs. It's easy to forget that because of the size of the club, the history of the club. You know, the first aim for them this season would have been avoiding relegation. They had the upheaval of changing manager. You know, they've lost their best striker for practically the whole season, pretty much Ross Stewart. 
So if they finish in the top 10, what a season they've had. If they get in the top six, which again, I think is unlikely, unbelievable stuff. So I think Coventry and Sunderland, you know, should they finish where they are now, ninth and 10th, I think they can hold their heads high and say, yeah, we've had a really good season, very respectable. We've, you know, we've arguably punched above our weight in some aspects with the teams beneath us that you would have expected better from. We've competed. And I think they can head into next season with a spring in their step, but you can't rule them out for certain yet, but I would lean towards the category of unlikely for both Coventry and Sunderland's top six hopes. I would agree, and I completely echo your sentiment on Sunderland. They've had a fantastic season. You've got, I suppose, to consider West Brom as well if they win their game in Amber, that's Sheffield United, currently on 57, five points adrift. So, the Championship table, just to give you a quick roundup before we move to the bottom. Burnley are promoted, played 40, 90 points. Sheffield United played 40, 76 points. Luton Town played 41. They're five points back in third on 71 points. Middlesbrough played 41 on 68. They're now eight points behind Sheffield United, having played a game more. Then moved down again. We're in fifth with Millwall on 62, having played 41. Blackburn Rovers have played 40, game in hand. They have 62 points as well. That game in hand is against Burnley. Then it's Preston North End, also on 62 points, played 41. Goal difference keeping them out. Norwich played 41, 61 points in eighth. And then Coventry, 59 points, played 41. And Sunderland in 10th, played 41, 58 points. They are four points adrift. George, let's move to the bottom of the championship table and we'll start right at the bottom with Wigan Athletic. They were beaten in both of their Easter fixtures, which looks like it has been the final nail in their coffin. They were beaten 2-0 by Swansea City. Joel Perot brace leaves them eight points adrift of safety with only five games remaining. In all in all, under Sean Maloney, I do think they've looked better than certainly under Colo Torre and Similar to how they were under Liam Richardson, I still don't think they should have sacked Liam Richardson for what it's worth. But they've drawn too many games and not kept enough clean sheets. They run, they were well beaten despite only losing 1-0 at Sheffield United on Good Friday. 2-0 defeat against Swans is the real killer. This is the sort of game against a team that are in mid-table, albeit good form. Not got a lot of play for. You've got to win that game to give yourself any chance of survival. They do look like they'll be in decent hands, I think, for League One next year if they can keep the off-field issues to a minimum. Of course, they lost three points as a result of not paying their players on time. The only thing that gives you a slender chance of Wigan Athletic staying up, they've got to play Blackpool, Reading and Rotherham before the end of the season in that final five. They've simply got to win all three to give themselves any chance. But I'm afraid, I think, it's a one-year stay in the Championship for Wigan Athletic. Yeah, I think their hopes of staying up, although not mathematically impossible, personally, I think they're dead and buried now. I really do think, you know, I think they've got too much to do. They've got, a, you know, they've got an eight-point gap between themselves and Cardiff. Cardiff have a game in hand that game. They've got a replay against Rotherham. And, you know, even though they've probably been better than Blackpool and Reading in recent weeks in terms of, you know, performances, have a little bit more energy about themselves... I just think it's a case they've not got the quality to compete at this level. That I think that is the bottom line of it. They just haven't got the quality of player on the pitch that, you know, is is good enough to stay in this division, unfortunately. There's been so much upheaval. And, you know, had Wigan not turned to Colo Torre and wasted that, you know, what was it, eight, nine games, they might have had a better chance of staying up. It's that period that has ultimately and killed their hopes off. With a points deduction. Yeah, exactly. You know, they've had that upheaval again, you know, of points deductions. But even with, you know, even if they were, you know, even if they kept those three points, they'd be on 37, five points of draft. I still wouldn't be convinced even in that position. So, personally, I think Wigan's hopes of staying up are, are doomed, to be honest. You know, they've got Blackpool at the weekend. You know, I think if they lose that, they've got absolutely no chances, even though I don't already think they have, to be fair. You know, they've still got to go to Stoke. It's not easy. They've got to play Millwall at home. Not easy. You know, every team they've got to play between now and the end, with the exception of Stoke, have got something, you know, worthy of playing for. So I think it's going to be very difficult. But effectively, I just don't think they've got the quality of player to compete at this level. And again, it's going to be an immediate return to, to League One, which they'll probably next season win the league. They'll come back again and give it another go. They've got to find a way, obviously, if, trying to stabilise off the pitch, which is obviously the, the main problem that we're going to have encountered for, you know, the best part of two, three years now, whatever it's been. But on the pitch, 
they just haven't got the personnel, I don't think, to compete at this level. And ultimately, it's going to be an, an immediate return to League One. But I think, like you've said, you've got to give a little bit of credit to Sean Maloney. I think, you know, he's he's done enough to justify staying on. He's stabilised them. He's got a long-term project to oversee, but he needs the help from those above them. That that above him, should I say. That is the big thing. He needs help from those at the top of the club, you know, to, to sort these ongoing financial issues out because it is just plaguing them year after year. So I do ultimately think Wigan will go down and I think it's becoming very obvious which at least one of the other teams that will be joining them. Yes, Blackpool. They sacked Mick McCarthy last week after only three wins during his tenure, having come in in January to keep them up. It was an awful appointment. I said it at the time. It didn't look right. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to Mick McCarthy, but when was the last time he was a success at championship level? Been a while. Wolves. Ipswich, sorry. Ipswich was probably the last time, which is over a decade ago. He had a decent impact at Cardiff first and foremost, but that soon tailed off, really. It was a two-month spell where they did well and soon tailed off he got sacked there. I don't understand why Mick McCarthy was turned to really by Blackpool. I I still maintain there'd have been a better chance of staying up with the signings they made in January, which haven't been great, it has to be said, but is that because the players haven't been great or because of the style of play? I think they would have had a better chance staying up with Michael Appleton, I said it at the time, and they are definitely going down into League One for me this season. The seven points from safety, Stephen Dobby's been put in temporary charge, and that to me is also a resignation from the board, from the football club, that they're looking to next season. They don't really think they're going to stay up. They're putting plans in place for next season in League One. Who will they turn to long-term? We'll see. And Stephen Dobby's got an audition. He's got a chance to try and galvanise this group, try and show that he could be the man potentially to lead them forward and just restore a bit of pride. But they are going down. They will be in the in, in the in League One next season, I think, George. Yeah, I certainly think so, for all the reasons you've outlined. Are you outlined. happy to admit you got Mick McCarthy wrong? I definitely got it wrong. I totally got it wrong. You know, I thought it was going to be an appointment, you know, experienced head that would come in, stabilise them and get them out of trouble. You know, not saying he was going to take them up the league and mount a playoff charge from Noah, but I thought he would get them safe with his experience and knowledge of this division, but it hasn't happened. And for that reason, I think Blackpool, like Wigan are, you know, certainties to be playing League One football next season. They are going to be going down and it's, it's such a shame because last season they were showing such promise after so long away from the championship that, you know, they were going to be able to stabilise here. They, you know, they really enjoyed a brilliant season under Neil Critchley. Yes, they punched above their weight, but they were competitive. They did compete. You know, they got a handful of players that were really eye-catching. Josh Bowler, obviously the obvious ones, come back, not, you know, not had the desired impact really since his January return. I think not had the desire is where you could have stopped with that sentence really. Yeah. I think, you know, Blackpool, like Wigan, they've had, you know, they've had off-field troubles for quite a while, not to the extent of Wigan, but they've had issues. And, you know, I've seen comments to us saying that people at boardroom level have got to take responsibility for this, which, you know, of course they have. But again, I just think it's a lack of quality on the pitch that has, has cost them. Obviously, defensively, they've been really, really poor throughout the season. You know, they've they've had the odd flashes of results, but ultimately, like Wigan... They've won eight games out of forty-one. It's a you know it's a really really poor record. They've lost twenty-two. They've lost more than anybody. So I don't think they can have any complaints. You know I think for them now it is a case of getting to the summer. Maybe if Stephen Dobby impresses over the next two or three weeks, whatever we've got left, three four weeks, he might you know put himself in the frame to land the job permanently. Obviously he was successful there as a player, but I think Blackpool needs something you know to start afresh with somebody new to come in. Full summer, clean slate, rebuild and get them back, you know, back into the championship, hopefully the first attempt, because, you know, I think the foundations are there. They have got some good players there, but ultimately this season, they've just, they've not been good enough on and off the pitch, you know, eight, eight wins, 22 defeats. It tells its own story. They deserve to be where they are. And, you know, the six, they're seven points from safety, five games left. It's, it's highly unlikely they're going to turn this around. Third bottom, George, Reading. What a roller coaster it's been for them since we last spoke. They've lost six points, as we spoke about. We knew it was coming, the six-point deduction. That's finally been confirmed, and they picked up only one point from Easter. Breaking news on Tuesday morning, as we record, that Paul Lintz has been sacked as Reading boss. He lasted longer than we expected, I think it's fair to say. Noel Hunt, academy manager and obviously legendary figure at the club as a, as a former player and striker and goal scorer, 
he's going to be in charge until the end of the season. This is definitely a change to try and lift the mood, lift the spirit, because you would say, well, you're sacking a manager that's, I wouldn't say overachieved, but he's not underachieved with the squad he's got and the off-field problems. But the, the mood around the football club is, is is toxic. It's poisonous from the fan base to the players to the comments that Ince has made in the press. It's just gone toxic. And they, I, this is why I said when we came back from the international break, Reading would be relegated with those six points coming off. And I'd, I think they probably would have stayed up without the points deduction, as daft as it seems. And we, I think we have to be fair on Paul Ince because he's got a bottom five squad there's no doubt about that he's had his hand tied behind his back in what he's been allowed to do in terms of signing players and then even what the fact he's lost six points on top of that which is two wins which I don't think Reading will be relegated by more than six points so I think they will have, would have stayed up probably if they'd not lost those points but by the same token they've taken 18 points from their last 20 games there's no harmony at the club between boardroom to manager to fans to players to staff there's just it's just toxic the club is rotting at the moment and i think this will be the season reading get relegated he has done well to last this long if we're being true Paulins, and i do have a lot of sympathy really for the tools that he was given to work with and the conditions he had to try and create a squad in but ultimately it was a weird appointment to start with and I think that ultimately sacking him and bringing in someone, even someone with no managerial experience who is just there to really G the players up and galvanise them, I do think it will give them a better chance of staying up because I think it had gone beyond the point of no return with Ince and the fans. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, I was reading comments on Monday night after that defeat at Preston about how they were praying the club was going to put a statement out and get rid of, of Paul Ince. And Announce corner obviously it arrived it arrived on Tuesday morning about half an hour before we started recording this podcast. So I think it's been expected. I said at the start of the season that he'd be the first manager to get the sack. Will he be the last with three weeks to go? I won't rule it out. There's probably going to be one more somewhere. You never I'm know. Not, this, not this year. You can say it's bonkers. There's going to be more. I would, you know, I'd not rule it out. But Reading, you know, they are in a real, really, really dark place at the moment. They're in a, you know, they're in torrid form. They've won two games this calendar year against Rotherham and Blackpool with no disrespect. You know, they've beaten the teams, you know, in and around them. we can say with a little bit of disrespect. Mm, Yeah, maybe. Certainly maybe towards Rotherham, perhaps. Obviously, Rotherham has certainly been a lot, lot better than Blackpool this season, in fairness. But for Reading now, you know, they're obviously in the drop zone. They are officially, you know, fighting for their lives now. They have got the challenge of trying to reel others back in. It's only a point at the minute. But when I tell you that their next two games are against Burnley and Luton, it's not particularly easy. Both are at home. Then they've got Coventry away. And then, my goodness me, they've got Wigan and they've got Huddersfield to sign off for the season. And, you know, with what we've seen from Reading, and like you said, the level of disharmony and discontent that's being shown to the players, the management, the boardroom, there's not a lot to suggest Reading will turn this around. It's going to take a phenomenal effort, I think, for them to get out of this now. And I've got to be honest, I don't think they will. I think they will go down along with uh, Wigan and Blackpool. But stranger things have happened, you know. Getting rid of Paul Ince, it might just give, you know, the players a little bit of a lift. I didn't, even though to be fair to him, you know, like you said, he didn't really, over the full duration of his job, do that badly as, you know, as much as we expected. You know, at the start of the season, they, they, they were getting some good results. They were, you know, they were in the playoffs at the start of the season. And, you know, at the time, I have to admit, though, I never understood why Reading turned to him. I remember, I actually remember as clear as anything, sending you the message in, I think it was February or March last year, telling you that Paul Ince had got the job. And your reply summed it up as if to say, is he actually basically still around? There was it's a been few expletives long. in there, wasn't there? There was one or two, if I remember vividly, yes. Um, but no, I, you know, it was it was remarkable, to be fair, that he lasted this long, you know, get to the 11th of April and still be in charge. But I think for Reading now, obviously, the objective is quite clear, try and get as many points as possible and hope that others around them fail because even though they're only a point behind Cardiff at the minute, they're only two points behind Huddersfield, who obviously picked up 10 points from the last 12 available. 
it's going to be a challenge. So it doesn't get much easier either, like I said, with Burnley and Luton to come in the next two games. But you never know. Fresh voice in the dressing room might just inject a little bit of confidence, something a bit different. We shall see. But I think it's very unlikely that Redden will be playing Championship football next season. Just above Reading, Cardiff City, they're only one point above the drop zone, but four points from Easter, having beaten Blackpool on Good Friday. Might have got a point. Uh, sorry, they took three points, obviously. Might have got a point against Sunderland. I think Cardiff will have enough to stay up personally. My eyes are more drawn to Queen's Park Rangers as a potential team Reading could catch. Well, they could definitely catch Cardiff, but QPR ultimately still winless under Gareth. Well, they've got one win under Gareth St. Ainsworth, but I think, what, won one of the last 20 or something ridiculous. The surprise result of Easter Monday was them coming from 2-0 down to get a point against West Brom. And I do think, could this be the turning point for Gareth Ainsworth and for this Queen's Park Rangers squad? A little bit of fight, a little bit of quality from Elias Chair crossing onto the head of Lyndon Dykes to make it 2-1 after Brandon Thomas Atante and Semi Ajayi had put West Brom 2-0 up in front after only 15 minutes. Touch of fortune with the equaliser, of course. Josh Griffiths. He'll not want to see it back. It's the touch that hits his knee that then bobbles away and he just clears it into Chris Martin who just blocks it into an empty goal. 2-2. And QPR were the most likely team that could have won it, George. Chances for Armstrong. Chances for Andre Dezel who volleyed just wide. And I do really genuinely believe this could be a turning point for Ainsworth and for QPR because little bit of fortune, little bit of fight, little bit of character which we haven't seen for so long from this group. And maybe some of their t- players that we know are top end, well, top half championship players like Chair, like Dykes. Willock was an unused sub, but him, him in the same bracket. Could they drag themselves out? I still think they're more likely to probably go down than Cardiff, but I think they'll stay up. I think QPR and Cardiff will stay up. I think the bottom three will be as it is. I called Reading three weeks ago now, and I stand by it. Huddersfield, they're still in the mix as well. They're four points clear, having beaten Watford and drawn with Blackburn over Easter weekend. They've got Cardiff away and Reading at home still to play. And again, I fancy them to stay up. I feel Neil Warnock is certainly not doing it in a possession-heavy way. They only had 19% possession against Blackburn on Monday. But he's got them looking like they can score goals in transition on the counter-attack. Hungbo was bright. Danny Ward is playing really well again with him. You know, obviously he's been with him at Cardiff. He was with him at Rotherham as well. He's been central to their resurgence. And then Rotherham finally, they're four points clear, but they keep picking up points. And that's why I don't worry about Rotherham as much because they picked up four points over Easter. I think the home form again looks back to what it was under Paul Warren. Matt Taylor's imprint on this team is starting to really grow. You can see what they're trying to do in the 4-3-3 shape. And crucially for me with Rotherham, they're not going on long runs without victories. They're picking up a point here, a win there. You know, they're not going eight games without a win or, you know, one point in 10, etc., etc. And I think they'll be fine for a second season, which they haven't done at championship level, of course. It's six seasons in a row where they've gone up, down, up, down, up, down. Jordan Hugel investment has been well worth it. He bullied the West Brom defence on Friday in their win, scoring two goals. Did well against Norwich as well on Easter Monday. I think Rotherham will be fine. George, how, what's your take on the championship bottom three obviously we're consigning Wigan and Blackpool to relegation so you're now looking of one from five to go down well I think you have to point towards Reading for the reasons I outlined a few minutes ago obviously they've got you know so many issues so much disharmony and you know you've mentioned Rotherham there about being okay I I think obviously the mathematics say otherwise but I would go as far as saying Rotherham are safe I think they will be fine I really do I think they've got a lot more a lot more spirit about themselves than the other teams. And like you said, they're picking up the points here and there. And, you know, four points from Westboro and Norwich over the Easter weekend, that's a fantastic return. That is a really good return, you know. And I would possibly say going to Norwich and getting a point is better than beating West Brom. You know, get a clean sheet at Carrow Road. Obviously, Norwich with so much to play for. That's a really good result for Rotherham. And, you know, I think the Millers will be absolutely fine. I really do. Still got Cardiff um, to play at home as well. They have. And, you know... I've mentioned a few minutes ago there about Reading's next two games being, you know, Burnley and then Luton. Rotherham's next two games are Luton and then Burnley. So they've both got, you know, both got really big challenges to come, but both games, as for Reading, as for Rotherham, are at home as well. So they've got Luton at home on Saturday and Burnley at home next Tuesday night. But I think for Rotherham, the big factor is four of their last six are, are at home. That could be pivotal for them. 
And you know, they've got the I'll best goal at, difference. I'll just add yeah, by a country mile. Yeah, and they've still got to play Cardiff. They've still got to play Wigan. So you know, the only team that they've got to play with, well, Wigan. You know, to be fair, come the final day of the season, are unlikely to have anything to play for. I expect them to be long gone by then. The only team at the moment with genuinely nothing worth fighting for is Bristol City from their final six. Obviously, the Cardiff game could be of significance on the 27th of April. That could be a huge, really important game. Huge game. But that's quite an interesting one. Looking at the fixture, I didn't realise, unless this has changed, it is incorrect, the fixture list I'm looking at. Rotherham are playing twice in less than 48 hours, which is unusual. They're playing, playing Cardiff on the Thursday night and then Middlesbrough on the Saturday, which no, is a bit wrong. unusual. Middle, the Middlesbrough game's been I moved was, to the Monday. I thought it would have been moved because that does seem very, very unusual. Yeah, but, Middlesbrough you know, has been moved to the Monday. It's the Bank Cardiff... Cardiff at home, you know, big game. Cardiff were obviously leading it the last time they met when it was called off by that freak rainstorm. Middlesbrough won't be easy, but you wouldn't rule out Rotherham, you know, from their home games with Luton, Burnley, Middlesbrough. You'd not rule out Rotherham getting at least one win from those three. They've got it in them. They've got that fighting spirit. They've got that character. And I think they'll be absolutely fine. And I think the same too can be said for Huddersfield. Yes, they squandered a two-goal lead against um, Blackburn on Monday, but they've taken 10 points from the last 12 available. In that time, they've played Millwall, Middlesbrough, Watford and Blackburn, four teams that, you know, still in playoff contention. That That's an excellent haul of points for a team that struggled throughout the campaign. And even though it seems a little bit, you know, sort of odd to mention this, considering they just blew a two-goal lead against Blackburn, it's quite surprising after that comeback win at Watford on Good Friday, Huddersfield have now taken 18 points from losing positions this season. Only Middlesbrough have taken more. So that proves they've got fighting spirit within the camp. And that obviously extends from the manager, Neil Warnock, you know, the type of guy he is. And then, of course, you've got Cardiff in all of this. Obviously, they've got the game in hand as well on the others against Rotherham to be replayed. Cardiff's form been a bit up and down. They have only won one of the last five. But I do think they've, you know, gradually improved under Sabri Lamucci. I do think they'll be okay. So personally... I think it is a straight shootout between QPR and Reading for that final relegation spot. If I was, you know, forced to put £10 on it now, I would lean to lean towards Reading. I think they've got less going for them than QPR because the R's, of course, are going to take a lot of confidence from that comeback at West Brom on Monday. Like you said, that lucky ricochet, it could be the turning point in their fortunes. It could be the stroke of luck that they needed. And, you know, the performance was there on Monday. Certainly in that second half as well, they could have easily won that game. So for Gareth Ainsworth, he's got to hope now that his players can build on that and not go back into their shell after, you know, such a torrid, torrid run. But QPR's fixture list towards the end of the season, really, it's not the easiest, I must admit, but they have got three of the remaining five at home, which they need to take full advantage of. But they have still got to go to Burnley. They have still got to go to Stoke. Not easy. And also, they've got to play Coventry and Norwich at home in the next two. Obviously, both teams have still got something to fight for. So, nothing could be ruled out. But that second half at West Brom might just be the turning point in QPR's hopes of staying up. Because however way they did it, they had to stop that losing streak. The picture at the bottom of the table, George. Wigan Athletic, bottom, played 41, 34 points. Blackpool, 23rd, played 41, 35 points. Reading, 41 played, 41 points, third bottom. Cardiff City just above them, one point clear, have a game in hand. They play 40, 42 points. That game in hand is against Rotherham United, as we previously discussed. Queen's Park Rangers played 41, 43 points. They've got a two-point cushion on Reading. Huddersfield Town have played 41. They've got 43 points as well. Goal difference putting them above Queen's Park Rangers. And then finally, in this bracket of teams, Rotherham United have played 40, game in hand against Cardiff. They've got 45 points. They're four points clear with a superior goal difference by some distance as well. Certainly in terms on Huddersfield and QPR, they've got um, pretty poor goal differences as, as I've read in. Cardiff's is minus 13. Robins is minus eight. So they're the only ones that Rotherham could get caught with on goal difference. So they're, they're, they've got a good buffer. And then the only other game, George, in the championship was Birmingham nil, Stoke City nil, which, having already spent an hour and four minutes talking about the weekend, we're not going to talk about. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Right, George, time to round off this Easter bonanza with our shocks and bankers for the upcoming weekend. I'll start. I'm going to go for my banker as Burnley to beat Reading at 
um, the select car leasing stadium. I know Reading will be slightly buoyed by the change in management, but they're facing a Burnley side who want their record. It's quite a good narrative that they're going to Reading needing three points to beat Reading's 106 points tally. Reading need the points to stay up. So quite a change of contrast in fortunes. Burnley have shown that despite, I'm sure, having consumed plenty of beverages between Friday and Monday, they still were professional and got the job done. I've got no reason to believe Vincent Company won't get them organised, won't get them concentrated on this match and treating each championship game with something to play for. They want that points tally. Company is a winner. He likes setting records. He was part of the Centurion team that took 100 points with Manchester City. He will want Burnley to go out as record holders and if we're going on points, the best team that's ever played in the championship. So I fancy them to beat Reading at home, uh, Reading at home, sorry, so away at, for Burnley. And then my shock, I'm going for Stoke City to beat West Brom. Stoke uh, started a little bit, not had the best Easter weekend. They lost at home to Bristol City, having been in front and then drew away at Birmingham. But West Brom away from home are really, really poor right now. I backed them to get in the top six when we did our predictions on the international break, but they've just not shaken this away form. The home form they've drawn the last two games and conceded two against QPR. I don't think they're going to get there, even if they win the game in hand against Sheffield United away, which given the away form and where Sheffield United are is very unlikely. I don't see them getting in the top six anymore. They've blown it for me and my shock is stoked to beat West Brom. Well, I did debate going whether to go for Burnley as my banker, but I thought instead of being boring, I'll go for something different. So I'm going to go for Sunderland to win at home to Birmingham. Sunderland, you know, even though they'll be cursing themselves, they didn't get those two extra points against Hull. You know, they've produced some good performances of late. You know, they've been there or thereabouts. So I fancy them to beat Birmingham, even though, you know, Birmingham have been on a decent run themselves recently. So Sunderland is my banker and as my shock, I'm going to go quite brave and I'm going to go, I'm going to go for Rotherham to end Luton's unbeaten run. I could see Rotherham, as I said a few minutes ago, they've still got to play Middlesbrough, Burnley and Luton at home. And I could see Rotherham winning one of them. I fancy Rotherham to possibly put a dent in Luton's automatic hope. So I'm going to go for a shock at the New York and go for Rotherham to win and Sunderland as my banker for this weekend. That marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this long Easter recap. We've certainly enjoyed picking through the bones of what has been 48 fantastic matches in the Championship. A real reminder of why we love the second tier of English football. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcast from and you'll get the latest episodes for, from us every single week. You do not want to miss the running. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And as always, a massive thank you to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.